Welcome to the Iowa Innovation Podcast, powered by NuboCo. This is the show where we talk to leaders in innovation, education, and entrepreneurship. Hey, what's up? I'm Anthony Betters. And once again, I am Rob Merritt, filling in for Jessica. Right, you guys have got to be getting sick of me at this point. I, I don't agree. I actually like you. <laughs> well, it's always fun to be back. And uh, we actually have a really cool thing to talk about today, because uh, Anthony and I were talking about this before the podcast, the idea of what happens if you have an idea for a new app. And you don't know anything about coding, you don't know anything about finding sponsors or anything like that, or even who to talk to to design it. You just think, hey, it'd be really cool if my phone could do this or something like that. So if you have that idea, what do you do next? And uh, we're lucky enough that we have a member of our team at NuboCo, specifically with NuboCo Studios, uh, Jess Faber, who uh, who designs apps all the time. And so we went to her and said, hey, would you be willing to come on and tell us like, what it is that you do if you have this idea? So, uh, so Jess is here in the studio with us, and basically she'll walk us through what you do. Yeah, we're going to talk about some cool UI, UX material, and we're also going to talk about her Tesla, Jessla, however you want to call it. So with that, let's innovate, Iowa. Jessla. Welcome back to the podcast, Jess. This is the second time we've had you in the studio, although the first time under your new name. Congratulations on getting married. Yeah, thank you. I'm still getting used to it. And I think that last time you were here, you were part of a, a group discussion. Um, but uh, but this time, we wanted to ask you about designing an app, kind of from the perspective of, you know, Anthony's not a coder. I'm not a coder. So... We're kind of looking at it as what happens if you have a really good idea for an app? Like, you know, you're sitting there in a restaurant and you're like, oh, you know what? We need an app for this thing. But you don't know anything about coding. You don't know how to build it yourself. So how do you go about, like, like what should you do in, your, in that situation? If you have that idea, what's the first step you should take? Yeah. So this is something that happens all the time. I have generally about once a week, once a month, somebody asks me, hey, what would it take to make this? Or I have this idea, whether it's family, friends, um, random people out in public, they hear that I'm a programmer, or that I work an app over here, a conversation. Oh, I have this idea. And I'm sure it's crossed most of our minds at least once. Wouldn't it be cool if, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and frankly, there's so many different routes to take to accomplish this. And one thing, I think I was talking to Rob earlier today that is just really important when it comes to diving into this world is, is it something that anybody other than me is going to want to use? In Iowa, you know, feel the dreams. If you build it, they will come. We like to think that is true about websites, apps, whatever it may be that we're making, but it isn't. Um, And so there's a lot you can do up front to kind of explore before you even start really looking at what is it going to take to make this to see if it's something that would get usage, would get some traction, um, or is it just something for you? Because that's also okay, but when it comes to investing time and money and what it takes to actually make these things happen, you have to gauge, is it worth it to you? Mm. Yeah, so that's very curious um, because like, if you are sitting at a restaurant or wherever you are, you have these crazy ideas. Like, what is the craziest idea that somebody has came to you and said, hey, can you help me develop this into an app? And then how did you tell them, um, do, you, do you really think someone other than you wants that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Oh, let me see. Craziest idea. Um, I mean, I've definitely had people, so I'm a dog person, kind of a crazy dog lady. I've had a lot of people at dog parks um, who would, and by a lot, I mean probably three or four, but have some kind of idea related to dog parks. Um, so, you know, maybe it's like a, like a schedule. Let me see when my other dog friends are going to be at the dog park. Can I get a notification when Rosie's going to be here? Because mm. that would be great. Um, that was one that I heard that I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. But how do you tell people maybe it's not a good idea? I mean, that's kind of hard, right? We're all kind of Iowa nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but just kind of have to coach them like, okay, is this really something that should exist? Do you think you can get by it? Maybe you should talk to some other people around here and see if they would use that too and try to kind of suss out the Iowa nice, right? Because that's a hard thing that we deal with here. Well, you know, on the flip side of that, has there ever been an app pitched to you where you thought, I mean, okay, you know, it's my job. I'll help you out. But this does not sound like it's going to work. And then it wound up working and working really well and surprising you? Um, yeah, I mean, I run into that frequently and generally it's like a niche that I'm not familiar with. Um, when it comes to different business sectors that I'm just like, I don't understand what they're up against or maybe issues that they have that they deal with day in and day out that they find a problem for. Sometimes it can sound kind of silly, you know, but then you actually start to build it out and it's like, oh, okay, like people are really using this thing and to varying extents. But yeah, yeah, definitely. So before we get more into the building app thing, I I guess I should ask, uh, tell us a little bit more about what you do for Nuboco Studios. Like what is a typical day for you? Um, Because that'll probably feed directly into then how you go about building an app. But what's a typical day at Nubico Studios for you? Yeah, so my position officially on paper is UI UX developer. And to non-tech people, what that means is user interface, user experience developer. You'll also see product designer, product developer as a very similar title for people. Um, What that entails is developing what an app or website looks like, how it behaves, Um, Basically, I write code, I build web properties, applications, apps for the app store, but I don't really care about like how the data gets saved. If it's going out to the database and comes back, that's really all I care about. And then I'm more interested in how does people interact with it? How does it work? How does it look? Um, The overall feel of it. So that's kind of my wheelhouse. But being a small team with a small company, nonprofit, helping startups, the role really extends a lot past that. So I spend a lot of time working with clients to figure out what should these apps be. You know, they come with that initial idea and trying to evolve that and trying to work with them to do customer discovery and figure out, you know, what should this thing actually be? And it almost never is what they come to us originally with, mm. kind of evolving it, looking at market share, things like that. Yeah. So a lot of client work. Nice. And I'm also curious, I guess I've never really sat down and have, have this conversation with you, but what made you want to get into the UI UX um, side of things? Yeah. So um, I'm an art school grad. I went to school for design. And I mainly studied graphic design, but then took a spin digitally. So in high school, I started taking computer programming classes. And um, I think this got mentioned on, on the older podcast that we did. I think it was season two. And I was, you know, tail as old as time, only girl in the programming class when I dove into community college for programming. And I've always liked art design. 
And I thought I wanted to make video games. Um, mm. Thought I wanted to be a video game designer for a while until I learned what that life is actually like. Ooh, I'm interested um, about that. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> tell our tell our audience what that life is actually like. Yeah, because there's mean, lots of people out there who are like, I want to make video games. <laughs> yes, yeah. and I, I would say so. Uh, so my stepson Jacob. So I always ask my kids like, Hey, like, what do you want to do when you get older? And that's what he wants to do right now yeah. is create video games. Oh, it's so popular, right? So popular. So all right, go ahead, crush people's dreams. What actually, <laughs> what actually happens when? you want to make a video game. Well, and I can't say that this is how the industry is now, but this is back when I was in school. I was studying in, you know, early aughts, so 2005 time frame-ish, let's say, and the hours were just insane. The amount of work that goes into making these games, because this was back when people were using, like, Maya 3D Max to build things, and... I got into class and I spent an entire semester to create like a walk sequence that took about 10 seconds of playtime, right? And the amount of hours it took to develop that was crazy. And then I went to school down in Florida in the Orlando area. And you hear about all these studios where like the family members are outside picketing because they want to see the people who work inside because they're on deadline and trying to get these things out. Like I said, the industry may have changed since then. But once I started hearing about about all that, I'm like, oh, I don't know that that's for me. But I still had that programming origin from high school and I still was interested in it. I was kind of dabbling in MySpace layouts for like bands and friends that had like other initiatives in college. Makes me so happy that MySpace layouts keep coming up on this it, podcast. Like we all miss, we all miss well, that. we can say we all, but I'd never had a MySpace. <laughs> okay, for those of us in like our maybe mid to late 30s, like that was a really big introduction to HTML mm -hmm. and CSS. And I don't know, one of my favorite tweets of all time was like thanking Tom for just like dropping in and, you know, teaching us all a little bit of HTML and then folding up shop. Um, but really, it's it's a big thing. And so that kind of kept me going and getting me interested in web technologies. And this was also when... You know, we were all graduating from like dial-up internet, like the like that to actually, yeah, mm -hmm. to getting like the cable internet. So it was faster. Um, web was evolving quickly, and so I kind of, you know, switched and I found my way more into like web design. And once I got my first job, I was doing a lot of like flash ads and banners and simple, simple web layouts. But UI UX was kind of like a I don't know, a blossoming field then. And it's really taking a deeper look at your design and making it more impactful, like making it more useful, figuring out if what you're doing is actually working, looking at data. And I happen to really love data. Um, so looking at that and seeing, okay, if I make this button green instead of blue, do the numbers go up, right? Do the sales go up? I was working in e-commerce at the time. If I make this work on phones as well as desktop and, you know, implement a responsive design, how do the users react? Is it more impactful? Do they enjoy it more? Um, if I put in e-commerce again, if I put this information at the top, can the user make a faster buying decision and have a more pleasant buying experience, right? So um, I'm a bit of an empath, so I enjoy that part of the job too. So that's kind of the roots of that. And from there, it's just kind of grown. You and I have also talked in the past about how your work, how you work directly with, like some of the other folks on the studio's team are responsible for more of the back end. They kind of do the, the stuff you don't see, the things that make, uh, like make a program work or make a server work, and you're kind of creating the interface. So how much do you then have to work with those folks who are doing the back end, and how often will you... 
I mean, you'll probably have an idea in your mind of, oh, this design would be so cool. And then the back end folks are like, no, we can't make that happen. <laughs> I, I mean, as a designer, do you find that you are creating something and then the back end follows and tries to make it work? Or is it more the back end is coming to you and saying, listen, we need this and this and this. And then you figure out as a designer how to make an interface that that fits with what they're saying can be done. Yeah. Like, like, are you following or are you leading? I guess is what I'm asking. So in the perfect world, you're collaborating the whole time, literally talking every day about what you're working on and how to make it match up together. There are instances um, during the pandemic a lot when we were all kind of nestled at home. I was working with one of the bigger employers here in town doing some consulting and they had a little bit different workflow because they're working on products that already exist, right? So in what we do, building apps, building websites at Nubico, a lot of it doesn't exist yet. And so I can work closely with my team to marry that up really well. And it's less of a hassle. Now, when you're working on an existing application and you're trying to innovate and bring it forward, things may be built in a certain way that makes that more restrictive. And then you have to kind of work with that team to figure out, okay, what is the best thing we can get out here? And is there a, you know, compromise, right? You got to come up with that compromise. And is there something we can do to get what we want um, and maybe get creative with it that may be a little bit different than the way you would do it if it was a new development thing? Nice. And even yeah. when I, when I, like, when I think about the innovation side of apps, right. And of course you've been deep and heavy in that. How, how long have you been in the UI, uh, UI area? I got my first job professionally in 2007. Okay. So quite a while. Yeah. 15 years, 16 years now. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so with that, so, so you've seen, of course, the innovation from then into now. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And so whenever you think about that and where my mind is going, I just sent a link to the group in Slack. It was about um, the, the new iPhone. And so now they're going to be having a VR set to where you're still going to be in real life. But now instead of you having a keyboard, you can be able to use your fingers. You'll be able to see like the big screen and all that's in front of you. So like what's the craziest experience that you've seen in the sense of innovation from 2007 to kind of what it is now and your sense of developing? Yeah, um, I think that the innovation of just the way we interact with things happens a lot like innovation in any other sector. So you kind of come up with a breakthrough and then you kind of find your footing and figure out what's, what is it really going to be, right? These headsets aren't new. Um, the HoloLens in 2018, I think, did a lot of what Apple is showcasing, but differently. Um, and it had its own issues, right? And we've been using headsets. Like I, I like playing games. So like we have a headset at home. We have the HTC one. Um, but Valve, which is a popular game, a game platform or company, they've made several iterations on headsets. So it's not really like a new thing, but we're figuring out what is it going to be for the everyday consumer? You know, you see Google Glass. Remember Google Glass? Yeah. Right? Everybody <laughs> had those things on. Not everybody, but the people who had them. Um, yeah, it's we're I think we're trying to find our footing there, but I think that you know, when it comes to developing for it, once we find it, it's going to be a whole new thing for people like me to discover right. and for people to build new applications for, right? It's going to be kind of like when the iPhone came out, took a little while for adoption, right? Not everybody had them in their pockets. If you did, I definitely waited in line and bought <laughs> the first one that came out. Um, cuz I I don't know. I'm an early adopter that way. But 
people at the company that I worked for had like 300 people in the building. Slowly you'd see more and more. And a couple of years later, everybody had one. And then it was like the space race, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's rushing to get apps in the app store that do what's going to be useful. But now I don't want to say like all the low hanging fruit has been picked off when it comes to building apps, but it's definitely more niche stuff that you see us building now. Um, things that are obvious. Like, I don't know if anybody watched Silicon Valley on HBO, but yeah. there was, yeah, there was this guy who used to say, R-O-I, radio on internet, right? That's how he made his billions because it was just like these, you know, everyday ideas that were easy to find. They didn't have apps for them yet, but um, they're all kind of done now. So it's more niche stuff. That brings up a really good point. I imagine that if somebody comes to you saying, I've got an idea for an app and I want to do this thing, that sometimes it's not a matter of saying, oh, is there a need for that app? It's more, well, there's 15 other apps in the app store that do the same thing that you're suggesting. So how are you going to do it better? Is it really just a case in those situations? Is it a case of figuring out how to design a better app than the apps that are already out there? Is that something that you've had to do in the past? That can absolutely be a thing. Yeah, the differentiator. And differentiation can be as easy as design and user experience. So uh, one of the great examples of that is Slack. You mentioned Slack. So Internet Relay Chat is basically what that is. Um, It's been around forever. And they did it right. They did it in a way that was pleasant to use and that made sense and it scaled as companies scaled. And, you know, they're still making improvements on it, but overall it hasn't changed that much. Like really the last couple big updates that I can remember to Slack were threads and the little like huddles that they have, right? Mm. Um, And now you see Teams has emerged, Discord is out there, things that are also doing it in a similar fashion. But chats and group chat software wasn't new, you know? Um, They just did it in a way that was more pleasant to use. And so that's where user experience can really be the differentiator. And there is definitely ways to recreate things that already exist, but in a way that people actually want to use it. People are so used to having these slick interfaces in the phones themselves, whether you're Apple, Android, it doesn't matter. iPhone's better. Yeah, I mean, How it's, it's argument. You? Yeah, I mean, I think we got Team Android over here. Um, <laughs> but I use HP, so yeah. I was going to say, as soon as I heard you say you have a Valve headset, I was like, okay, we're not quite on the same team because I'm Oculus slash okay, now, it's, okay. now it's the uh, the Quest, but still, we're on the same operating system, yep, so it's yep, all good. Yeah, you know. Um. <laughs> Anthony with his... Apple. Apple. That's $3,500, by the way. You know how much a Quest is? 500 bucks. Yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing. Um, (laughs) So yeah, there's all these different ways that you can differentiate yourself in the market, even with like payment structures. Like if you're looking to build something that already exists, do you have a different business plan that makes sense where you can make the money you want to make, but maybe you're cheaper, right? Maybe you can do it cheaper. Maybe you find a way. Um, So just because something exists doesn't mean it's a bad idea to revisit it. Hmm. But you definitely need to find that differentiator. You're, you know, you're not going to succeed just copying something that's already out there and slipping a different logo on it unless you have like a niche audience you're going to target. Okay, so on on that subject of apps, and by the way, I think that's a really interesting idea that once if, if VR or augmented reality headsets, you know, if that becomes a bigger, more mainstream thing that we're going to see apps oh, it's created for that the same way that we did with phones. I'm hoping it does. Because I'm, I'm still I'm still kind of a... I remember when apps first were exploding, I was the guy that was sitting there going, why is it so hard to just go to the website? Mm-hmm. Like, why do I need an app to buy tickets when I could just go on Ticketmaster and <laughs> buy the tickets? Like, why do I have sense. to install extra software? But like a decade later, I mean, apps, you know, there's apps for like everything. Yep, yep. Um, 
But let me pick, okay, I'm not saying I actually want to create this app, but I was trying to think of something that's like a little off the beaten path. Um, So I've done theater for a long time, and there's a lot of people who like to get show videos, but, you know, you can't officially sell those because, you know, it's copyrighted material. But there are a lot of people who will get archival videos of shows. And I know people who like to get hold of Broadway shows in particular. And and there's all these like weird little underground networks of people that trade videos and things like that. So if I wanted to make an app that created a marketplace where fans of Broadway shows could trade links to the, like they could trade actual videos of shows and no one's selling anything. No one's violating like, you know, anything, like that, but they're just like, Hey, you're going to see this. You want to see this. Uh, and you're able to, it's, it's almost, almost kind of like, like a black market. Well, yeah, kind of. Kind of what it yeah. sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like a black market. So nobody's actually buying anything. Um, and, and, and by the way, of, of course I'm not actually advocating for this to be made <laughs> because you know, that would be naughty, but, if I wanted to make something that could do something like that, and I came to you and I was like, hey, I want to make this app and I want to have it do this stuff. That, you know, I want to be able to have this like online you know, free marketplace to trade videos. Um, you know, putting aside for a second the, the murky area of legality of that, just in terms of I want it to work what would be the first thing that you would say as a developer when that idea gets pitched to you? Yeah. Um, Like I said before, I would encourage you to make sure that you have like some kind of product market fit. So that's something that can be done before any development happens. Um, The second thing I would say, and this is a conversation that we just continue to have on our team more and more. It's an important conversation to have, even though we like building stuff for other people. And this could probably be a whole separate podcast discussion, but buy versus build. There's a lot of platforms that exist out there today that you can either buy or white label or put your spin on things, and maybe you can do it yourself. Um, and not to say that you know there isn't a place for people like me to build stuff, because obviously there is, but is it something that you could do with a Squarespace, with a Wix, with a WordPress? Is it something that you can prove out? Um, there's also all kinds of other, you know, DIY platforms out there now for creating apps. Um, I worked with Techstars out of Des Moines this past year with their last cohort, and they had a startup that was actually using kind of like a chat GPT type interface that you spoke to it and you told them what you wanted to build and it would build you an app. Hmm. Now, the thing about apps like that or app generators, there's quite a few options out there. This one was unique because it literally was a conversation that you had with their with their AI that would generate it for you. Um, you, you lose some control over it, right? There's generally a price associated with it. And it just like chat GPT, it's able to regurgitate things that already exist, but it's not going to invent something new for you. Right? So this is something that just exists within the AI spectrum in general. Um, it's not able to create new things right now, but it can regenerate things that already exist. So if you want to make another DoorDash, um, it can do that, right? What, what if you wanted to make another DoorDash that slightly tweaks what DoorDash does? Yeah, yeah, this was capable of doing something like that. Um, but there's, a, you know, definitely a cost associated with that. But it is an option, especially if you're looking at something that's a smaller niche. And, you know, you brought up the whole point 
do I really need an app for this? Why can't I just go to the website? And that's a very valid thing. Um, generally speaking, websites are cheaper to build than apps. And there's less maintenance because to build an app that you get into the app store, you have to meet Apple's criteria. You have to build it um, in certain languages that work with Apple and export it separately than what you export for Android. And both stores have to approve you. You have to meet both their guidelines. There's a cost associated with each. Um, and there's ongoing maintenance to keep up with their terms of service. Not to mention, if you put yourself in one of these stores, they take a cut of revenue. Hmm. Um, so that is something that, you know, we advise startups as well. It's been in the news a lot lately, especially with Apple. Um, I don't remember, was it Spotify? I want to say, it was, no, I don't remember. Anyway, I know that Spotify at one point was more expensive for a subscription if you signed up through the app on the iPhone than if you went out to Spotify.com and then just logged into their account because Apple's taking that 30% cut of all revenue. Yeah, and I know we're super deep into apps and app building, yeah. but you brought up a good point in the sense of ChatGPT be able to, of course, generate, uh, or ChatGPT-like apps be able to generate those different apps that you mm -hmm. want to create. But I'm also curious with Nuboco Studios um, and having that human uh, interface be able to talk and be able to create those apps, is Nubico Studios the ones that are tweaking the apps and saying, hey, you need to update this app because, hey, this is something new that we can be able to implement into the app? Um, not so much. I mean, we like to stay on, t on top of, like, cutting-edge technology and okay. everything. But we're definitely more of a let's build what's right for you type of shop. And sometimes that is let's buy something off the shelf and white label it and, you know, fit your niche. We've had a couple like agriculture clients and things like that where it's really they want to target the audience. The audience is the product. Um, and so in that situation, we're not really doing anything super unique. Um, but at times, you know, and we could evolve into something like that for some of these other clients. But um, it all kind of depends on what it is. We like to joke. There was a meme. I don't know. It's going to be hard to describe. Um, but it was like the Bart Simpson meme where he's like in class and like everybody's looking at him. Oh, yeah. I know the meme. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there was one that said like, say it again, senior developer. And then, you know, he said, it depends. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of us. Right. Um, it really it really depends on what you're trying to build and who you're trying to target and what what you're up to. I actually read a, a comment. I think it was a meme uh, where they were they were talking again about ChatGPT, um, and they said, you know, people they were referring to graphic designers, but I think it works for programmers just as well. Where they said graphic designers are worried about ChatGPT taking their jobs. Uh, most clients, when they are most clients, do a terrible job of describing what it is that mm -hmm. they want. Mm. Our jobs are safe. Yep. Because if you try to tell ChatGPT, it's going to, you know, it, like there is that human element of being able to sit down with you and say, okay, here's what I'm hearing from you and here's what we could do, but have you thought about this or the practicality, right. things like that? I mean, there's definitely a huge advantage to having that, you know, human brain to talk to and bounce ideas off of and have them help you out. Um, Jess, you, you brought up before you were talking about the Nubico Studios team, and the Nubico Studios team is a fairly small team. Yeah. Um, have you found, as a designer, especially when working with clients on new projects like this, do you think, what are the advantages and the disadvantages of having a small team as opposed to a really large development team with lots of people, but also lots of overhead? 
Yeah. Um, so I've definitely lived in both worlds, even recent, you know, with consulting that I've done on bigger teams. And the benefit of the small team is everybody being in the same loop, just like staying on top of stuff because you have to. There's no other choice, right? You don't have one point person that's sitting in all the meetings and then playing a game of telephone to distribute the information. We're all there. Um, also, just getting to know people and getting to have like those candid conversations of what do you really want? You know, do we think this is going to work? This is a caveat that we have. The budget isn't there for that. That's a huge one in startups, right? We all have to look at money. Um, but also you can move faster because there isn't all that overhead. When you start working on bigger teams, there's so much communication that has to happen to keep everybody in the know of what they need to know. But there's also just a lot more project planning that has to go on because you can't iterate and be agile as fast. Now, agile is like, you know, the term that we use for a lot of modern software and project um, development and just the workflow and the process. Um, and it's meant to build agility. And I think it definitely does when it comes to bigger teams, but there's still a lot of work that has to go into enabling that. And on a smaller team, we just don't have quite as much overhead. And, um, you know, Robbie's on our team and I work with him a lot on the back end of stuff and Stacy as well. And we're in standup every day together and we can just kind of talk through stuff. And it's just more tight knit. When you have a team of like 30 developers, you're trying to communicate what you want. You may not have that personal relationship with that person where they just kind of know what you're thinking. That's something that I found working, you know, with certain developers over a long period of time is like you don't even really necessarily have to say the words. They know what you're thinking already, what you want to do. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of benefit to that. Nice. And then when I think about, of course, just a three-person team, it takes a lot to develop an app, right? How do you guys distribute the tasks on what each of you need to do to create this app? Yeah. Um, you know, that's another benefit of a small team. We all have our strong suits and we know what those are when it comes to each other. So we know, hey, you're really good at this and you like doing it. Take it and run with it, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and same with myself. Like, I know what I would like to do. And we recognize each other's, like, growth opportunities, which is really nice. It's like, okay, you know, Stacy's newer to the world development. She's been doing this a couple of years now, and she's really sharp, so she learns quick. So it's like, okay, you've never done this before, but take it, run with it, and let us know if you have questions. And um, so much of this world is just Googling and learning along the way because things change so fast. So, you know, that's something that we really look for in team members is the ability to do that. And, yeah, I would say that that's kind of, you know, it's a drawback and it's a good thing to have such a small team because you maybe could move faster with a bigger team, but um, it all kind of, you know, once again, it depends what you're working on. Sometimes you don't want to move that fast on a lot of these startup things because you want to build something small and prove it out. Um, so you get to a kind of a stopping place where you can do that pretty quick. Yeah. And then, I mean, just with you speaking, of course, you're a very you're a professional in your field, right? You're articulating it to me, and I have no idea exactly what you're talking about, but I do understand it. Uh, could you talk about any speaking engagements that you maybe done to other individuals that might want to have known uh, what you do, or also have you won any awards or anything uh, <laughs> from uh, your UX UI development? Yeah, yeah. So I have. Um TAI, Technology Association of Iowa, does a cool Prometheus Awards every year. It's this really big, fancy event in Des Moines. Um, and they're just a great organization. You know, they connect a lot of companies around the state and a lot of individuals that are really deep in this stuff every day. 
And yeah, I was lucky enough to be awarded the Emerging Technology of the Leader Award. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, Leader <laughs> of the Year Award in 2022. So that was pretty cool. Um, I honestly didn't think I had a shot. I was like, cool, awesome, nominated. Um, and I had been a finalist for other things with my work with Delta V. And um, so I was very, very surprised when they called my name, but that was pretty cool. Um, and yeah, I speak on the topic. Um, you know, various educational institutions and conferences around the Midwest. And more recently, um, TAI has a conference in Des Moines, um, the Iowa Technology Summit, and I was on a panel there for leadership. Nice. Hey, we are sitting at a table full of excellence right now. Hey. Because we have an award-winning writer, correct? Am I wrong, Rob? I, I, I wish mean, everybody could see this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, my, why is everyone looking at me? What did I do? <laughs> am I right or am I wrong? I mean, what, what, what awards did you win, Anthony? Oh, dang. Of course, you, you would uh, throw it back at yeah. me. I sure I mean, would. the only award that I have won recently was just, and I would say this is a benefit of Nuboco as well as pushing this. I got to, to be uh, awarded the 40 under 40. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was big ups to Nuboco uh, for being able to, to push that uh, into existence. Even though Nuboco, like people, a lot of people don't know what Nuboco is, even though Nuboco stands for the New Bohemian. Innovation Collaborative, we were a small, tight-knit family, um, but we have a lot of people on our team that do amazing things. And even if they don't stay on the team, uh, of course, even if they're not still on the team, they have left the team to go do crazy, awesome stuff. Um, and so that's a big testament to Nuboco for sure. Yeah, we're definitely, definitely a powerhouse when it comes to talent. And we're good at recognizing that, I feel like. Most definitely. Yeah. One yeah. thing that I always thought was... So I, I sat in on a couple of Delta V classes that, Jess, that you uh, that you taught, even though you weren't like the head teacher, you kind of came in for a guest mm-hmm. session. And, and I know that in the early days of the Delta V Code School, you were one of the main instructors. And you were just talking about, you know, even with members of the studio's team, like like Stacy being a new member, that, you know, you'll, you'll mentor and encourage and coach. Um... For you, what have you enjoyed about teaching coding, about getting, you know, not just designing it yourself, but helping enabling other people to become to become designers themselves? What do you enjoy about that? Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh, so much. So it's a really important thing to me. So I, I mentioned, you know, I had taken some programming classes in high school and kind of that whole journey. And I did not go to college for that. And I really am where I am in my career because of a great series of mentors. Um, and I feel like that's just a very key aspect of a lot of career paths, but especially in technology where things are constantly moving, new stuff to learn, new stuff to play with. And honestly, people switch jobs a lot. So there's a lot of expertise amongst people of different tech stacks and different you know, audiences and company types and even just like company arrangement. You can learn so much from talking to people. Um, But being able to kind of mentor junior developers, and I, you know, still appreciate being mentored myself at this phase in my career, and I hope that never changes because there's always new things to learn, more to grow, and I'm I'm perpetually curious. But um, being able to see people struggle but then get it and get excited and, you know, that that mo- that aha moment where it clicks is just like forever awesome. Um, never gets old, especially when it just encourages them to do it again, 
right? And I have a feeling the same thing comes in like personal training and so many different aspects of life where it's like there's this struggle and then you break through and you're at that next milestone. And that happens in tech nearly every day, um, if not every week as we try to come up with, you know, new solutions or we run into a bug. Um, it happens to me once in a while, you know, I come up against a bug and something that I wrote, I kind of have to bang my head against a while. I'm like, oh, what am I doing? Why, am, why is this my job? Why is this my life? Is there a classic take on the 99 bottles of beer song where it's like 99 bugs in the code, <laughs> take one bug and fix it. There's 1,234 bugs in the code. That is a good code. one. <laughs> <laughs> and so that is especially true when it comes to what I do in UI development. So um, something you have to deal with is just all the different devices and browsers and all of them look a little different. Like, I don't know if you've noticed, if you pull up a website on a Mac and a website on Windows, they may look slightly different just because of how the systems render mm. things, right? And the frames that they exist in, whether it's like Firefox or Edge or whatever in Safari. Bing. Yeah, I Is mean, like these, thing? well, yeah, but like these things just look a little different. They're slightly different, um, enough that it can cause headaches for me in my yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me, let me kind of close with this question for yeah. you. You have, as you said, you've been doing coding since 2007. Um, so you've gotten to see this industry grow and change and tons of things happen over the last 15 years. With that in mind, what keeps you energized? What makes you keep loving what you do every day, considering that probably almost nothing that you do today is like what you were doing in 2007? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's part of it. Nothing is like it was in 2007. Everything's different. It went from, you know, having really old, antiquated ways of doing things with the original CSS to new additions that allowed things like rounded corners. Would you believe when I started designing, if you wanted a rounded corner on a box, you had to place an image in the corner of a box? Wow. You couldn't make, co you couldn't write code to make a rounded corner. Well, that has changed. Um, but yeah, that evolution to responsive design, and then we really get into like this native app development. And you know, always building something new and something different and a different take on stuff is really cool, especially with what we do, um, building all these different apps for, you know, emerging companies. But now it's like things were feeling a little stagnant, I guess, in the world when it comes to like developing things. We've just been making websites and apps for quite a while now. But now like have you guys seen like folds are fold like phones are folding yeah. mm -hmm. now? Right? Um, so from like a UI UX perspective. Awesome. Like, this is a whole new place I get to play. Um, I saw a new edition of the Razor is coming out. Did mm -hmm. you guys ever have the Razor flip oh, yeah. phone? It was like the hotness. No, yeah, we, yeah, we talked about that on one of the podcasts. I I didn't get to have yeah, the Razor. Young. I had the, the Nokia brick phone. Okay, I did too. Um, but I was like, I was driving before I even had a cell phone, you know, because uh -huh. I'm old. Um, but the new, the new Razor is all like this bendy screen. I'm telling you, Anthony, I know you're dedicated to Mac, but it's going to be at least five or six more years before Apple finally decides to imitate what Samsung and the others are and doing Pixel, right now. Pixel I, just came out yeah. with a fold. Um, so from like my perspective, what I do, that is so many cool opportunities for UI. And then, um, like I said, I've had a headset. I've done VR, but I've used it exclusively for games. Same Apple release. The UI, you know, things that can come out of that that I may have the opportunity and will hopefully have the opportunity to build on is insane. Mm -hmm. Like, 
user experience for, you know, using your hands for gestures for, it appeared like, you know, all we're seeing is videos. I've never used one of these, but it looked like when you use something, there was like a movement of like the application and the icon and stuff. Amazing. Um, so that, like everything just keeps evolving. It just keeps getting cooler and cooler. Now we have AI in the mix, um, which hopefully, you know, some people are scared of it. Some people are really excited about it. I'm excited about the opportunities to kind of automate some of like the more boring parts of my job so I can focus on some of this more innovative stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, it just kind of keeps going. Yeah. And hey, endlessly exciting. I, I got one more thing that I yeah. want to leave the listeners with and envisioning um, what I'm about to tell them about here. And so when I think about evolution of technology and the sense of vehicles, right, I think about Elon Musk and I think about the Tesla. Um, and then I also think about Which Jess has one. Yes, I do. and then whenever I imagine that, I, I I think about the the white Tesla that you have, and I look at the license plate, and all I can think of is Jessla with the Tesla. Um, can can you can you explain to our listeners exactly what I'm talking about, and also explain to them the interior of your vehicle and why you chose that interior of your vehicle, please. Yeah, I mean, I'm all about the aesthetics, right? So I do have a white on white Tesla, and the license plate does say Tesla. Um, but why I was super interested in the car, and so my husband makes fun of me a lot. He um, he deals with like a lot of hardware stuff. He's a hardware engineer type guy, and he likes to call it a printer on wheels um, <laughs> because it's always getting updates, and you know they can be finicky. I've luckily never had problems with mine, but my friend's right now is not running. Um, I think it's a dead battery, a dead 12 volt, which happens with them, but. Um, the car, it's such a different take on the car. Um, and, you know, all opinions of Elon Musk aside, um, as a person, the people who he has employed um, at Tesla to build these cars have really built a cool thing. Um, it's just so different. I don't know. I it's, agree. You know, the way everything from, like, the reporting that you get on driving conditions. Recently, they implemented a new feature where it's like if you're driving into headwinds, it lets you know, you know, that your battery range may be degraded a little bit. Um, but just the whole interaction of the screen as a UX and UI person, you know, knowing that you have this caveat of somebody's moving down the road at possibly 70, 80 miles an hour, and they are going to be interacting with the screen. How do you keep distractions to a minimum, um, even though they're basically looking at an iPad? Um, how do you make things quick? Um, how do you deal with updates when they're driving down the road and they go to look for this button and it has moved? Um, all of that is just really fascinating to me. And just the just the way that they've approached the problem with totally a fresh perspective is really neat and it doesn't hurt that it's really fast and fun to drive. Nice. So if you see a white Tesla driving <laughs> down the street here in the Cedar Rapids, like, oh, this is in the Iowa honk area with Jessla on the back, please honk at her. But hey, Jessa, we, we, we definitely appreciate you coming on the podcast today. And that was a great conversation about uh, the new Boco Studios and everything that you do and what the team does. And if someone who's listening to this is like, hey, actually, I do have an idea for an app. Mm -hmm. And actually, I do want to figure out what to do next. How do they contact you? What do they do? Yeah, um, you can always reach out to me directly, Jessica at Nubo.co, which is a very easy email to remember. Um, my team is actually launching a new portfolio site too, and that should be up pretty soon. So watch the Nuboco social media channels and all the ways that we promote, because once that comes out, we'll be promoting that pretty heavy as well. And you can check out some of the things that we've built and a little bit about the team and our unique approach to software. 
Well, as always, it's awesome chatting with you. We've been coworkers for wow, like four years now. As long as you've been at Nuboco, <laughs> I came wild. first. I was going to say you are one of the you're one of the OGs at Nuboco. You are literally seven. one of the yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and, and so it's it's always a pleasure. And thanks so much for for coming in and and kind of telling you know, I, I guess I can't really speak for Anthony, but I still feel like I'm kind of a, a tech idiot. So oh um, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I, I'm not in that that field. <laughs> I'm, I'm always I'm always in awe of of what you guys do. Um, I it's you know in my position as communications director for Nuboco, one of my favorite things is that I get to tell the stories of the kind of work that you're doing which is amazing because I'm just kind of in awe of it like wow I can't do that but I can tell people about the fact that it's happening and so it's it's really exciting not just the work you do but the fact that you you do a lot of work for important organizations. Um, I've seen a lot of businesses come through Nuboco and Nuboco Studios uh, who are genuinely doing good things in the community. And the fact that we're able to help them to create an app that makes their mission easier or even possible, I think is great. Um, and so, so yeah, so it's a blast being on the team with you uh, and with Anthony. And uh, we, all have, uh, we all have way more fun every day than a paying job is supposed to be. So Amen. yeah, <laughs> so true. thanks for it's being true. part of that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Nice. Always a good time. Thanks so much to our guest, Jess Faber, for coming on the show. You can learn more about Nuboco Studios at nubo.co. And if you love the show, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also visit our blog, nubo.co slash blog, to find key takeaways, summarize, and details. This podcast is produced and distributed by Upload Media Group in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. For more information, go to uploadmediagroup.com. And finally, we would love it if you could consider a donation to Nuboco. Your contributions to our nonprofit help us continue to serve innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs across the state of Iowa. To learn more, please visit nubo.co slash donate. Well, as always, Anthony, thanks for uh, giving me an opportunity to get back into the studio again. It's always fun to hang out with you. Now I just have to figure out a really cool app to make. And probably one that doesn't involve piracy. <laughs> yes, no, we don't want anything on the black market. No, no, no. No, we never, ever want that. Mm-hmm.